Shabbat Shalom. When uh, I first moved here and our realtor, who's here today, realtor to the stars and rabbis, Beth, it's nice to have you. Shabbat Shalom. She kept pointing out, this is where the Pope stayed. When the Pope came, you know, there's the, the seminary over there. The Pope was here. The Pope was here. This is where it was. And this weekend, we add a new papal-ish rock star, literally, to the list as Taylor Swift descends on Philadelphia. And in preparation for her visit, I listened to a lot of Taylor Swift this week. And after listening to a lot, really, just a lot of Taylor Swift, I, I came to realize uh, three things. One, it seems very rough to date rock stars. Two, fame also seems like there's a lot to deal with and grapple. And I was incredibly impressed with her ability to continue to sing about this romantic ideal despite what seems to be setback after setback after setback. But one doesn't need to look through the Swift discography to see a beautiful commitment to romantic ideals. One only need turn to the Parsha that we read this morning. How's that for a transition? Because Shemitah and Yovel, that Maya, you read so beautifully. The sabbatical year, every seven years where we take this break, this rest, the Yovel, the Jubilee year, every 50 years, where all property reverts to its original owner, and we have this huge, amazing party for a year-long thing. This is perhaps one of the most ambitious projects that the Torah outlines. Shemitah and Yovel. These are huge to say that we are going to control the economy to that great an extent that you can give everyone a year off or two or three years off as you come to the Jubilee. And the rabbis actually disagree about whether it was ever actually done. Some rabbis say, yes, of course, there was Yovel until the half tribe of Manasseh and God and Reuben. Once they stayed on the other side of the Jordan River, we didn't do Jubilee anymore. And those of us who, you know, have read this before know that that's essentially as soon as we get into the land, right? So it means there's no Yovel. It was never done. And uh, in the Talmud, they say, oh, of course we did the Jubilee year until the temple was destroyed. But after that, we didn't do it anymore. And the Jubilee year, we don't need a lot of reading to understand why this is something that our people gave up. It seems incredibly difficult how do you go about it? How do you practically even feed everyone? It isn't until 30 verses into the Parsha that God even thinks to say, oh, and by the way, when you do this Jubilee year where you're not allowed to harvest, which is right after Shemitah year, where you're not allowed to harvest, by the way, I'll make sure there's enough food. Right? God doesn't even think about this food until the very end. And God, this one line that says there'll be enough food, don't worry about it. And our rabbinic commentaries, of course, worry about it. And Rashi and Shadal go out of their way to try to prove how it works. And well, it means that, the, that, 
that it really, when it says three years, it's really one year, but one day unto the other year and one day into the other year, which equals three years. So don't worry about it. It's really only one year without food, not three years without food. It's going to be okay. And another commentary says, well, I, what it was is it was the way that the food would grow, right? Would, Sforno says it would grow in such a way so that you could tell there was enough food. So don't worry, there would be enough. It would be okay. It'd be okay. And it takes until the 19th century and Chaim Ibn Attar or Chaim for someone to basically just say what I thought as soon as I read it, which is, guys, it's a miracle. Just don't worry about it, okay? This didn't happen. It's not going to happen. God said there'd be enough food. Shabbat Shalom, there was enough food. I like Orachim's read of this verse because I don't actually think that in this case, getting bogged down in the details is the important thing here. The idea isn't how can we make the Jubilee work practically? According to tradition, if we ever did it, it's long stopped. The important thing here is that we have the Jubilee in our Torah. We keep reading about it because the vision of an equal and sustainable world is incredibly important, even if it would take a miracle to actually make it work. And that's the lesson of reading about the Yovel. The dream itself is the thing that matters the most. In this case, the dream of a world where we can all be equal at least every 50 years is what the rabbis want to keep alive. And in our lives today, I worry that I am too focused on the practical, which is important, but we can get lost in it. We can get lost in how we live our lives and what needs to happen and who needs to be picked up and dropped off where and where I'm at on my workflow chart and things like that. And we lose sight of the big dream of what we're here to do and what we're trying to do. And in our lives over the last three years, the pandemic shrank our vision completely to just thinking about how to keep our families safe, keep ourselves safe, think about the little things that we need to do, and that's it. And as we, I guess, officially, technically come out of the pandemic this week, though it's still, of course, still here and still something to think about. We also want to regain the large vision of the society that we want to live in and who we want to be in that society. And this is hard because things come along all the time to make us shrink back to the practical and think about, well, can we really do it? Is it really feasible? Is it not? But who but Jews can help keep dreams and hope alive. And Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel writes that the Jewish people for millennia are practiced in keeping a hope alive, even in the face of incredible, in fact, overwhelming, he writes, practical problems. And what's it called? Zionism. Zionism for Heschel was our people's ability to dream an unfathomable dream. It was our ability to think of something, of a world that we want that's out there and hope and pray that it can be what it is. In his work, The Insecurity of Freedom, he writes, to be literal is to be ludicrous. To be sure, from the point of view of practical reason and logic, the efforts of the Zionists were doomed to failure. 
The Zionist vision was like a fable or a dream in the eyes of practical people. It was absurd to be a dreamer and to build the future of a people upon the flimsy ground of fable. Yet where practical logic failed, visionary logic succeeded. Where practical logic failed, visionary logic succeeded. Zionism has been something that has animated our people. We hoped and dreamed for a thousand years for the chance to have control of our homeland, for the chance to make it into the utopia of milk and honey that God promised it would be. We tended and nurtured the dream for millennia. And when we finally had the chance, we put some of that dream into action. And even in that moment, we kept the dream big. 75 years ago tomorrow, 75 years ago tomorrow, a group of those visionaries and founders got together and declared the independence of the state of Israel. And they wrote, did the state of Israel be open for Jewish immigration and for the ingathering of exiles? It will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace. As envisioned by the prophets of Israel, it will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be faithful to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. This is the Declaration of Independence of Israel. It's a beautiful statement about what they wanted the land to be, what it had and has the potential to become. Like Yovel, it might seem like we need a miracle to actually make it there, but the dream itself can and should hold us to the right path. The dream of what Israel can be was felt 75 years ago, and it lives today. It's something that I hope people can find strength and comfort in, even as they sit in the shelters of their homes as rockets rain down around them. It's a dream that I hope the leaders of the land take to heart as they guide Israel into the years ahead. And it is a dream that I pray all of us in this room keep alive and strong. Because as Heschel said, it is in the hoping and praying for Zion that we find the strength and inspiration to keep hope alive for ourselves. In God in Search of Man, Heschel writes that the main role of religion is to ask human beings to have hope, to surpass themselves, to reach for the sublime and tap into the power, beauty, and grandeur of the world around us. We are, in fact, a religion of details and small actions, yes. But if we don't have the grand premise, the great vision in our hearts, then the details are meaningless. Maya, I spoke to you about Bahar and Bahukotai, the duality of this vision on the mountaintop and the Hukim, the rules that we use to get there. And we absolutely need both today. And yet, I think we can focus a little too much on the details, the practicality or impracticality of our values, the political reality of what we want, and not enough on the grand vision of where we want to be. So I ask everyone here to take a moment and think. 
Let's start personal. What is a goal in your life? Maya, to you, to your friends, go Cougars, Frank Barracuda. What, what's your vision, guys? Yeah, that's me. I'm talking to you over there in the back. Hi, everyone. How's it going? So what do you want to be? Not what do you tell your parents' friends when they say what do you want to be? You know, the thing that's like normal enough to get them off your back, but like interesting enough that it might actually be real. Like, I want to be a vet. I want to be a human rights lawyer. I want to be a rabbi. You know, the really spectacular things. But what do you really want to be in your life? Not just if you're 13. For everybody here, what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Because having that vision, that idea close, that's how you can actually potentially get there. That's how you can guide your hukotai, your steps as you want to go. Then take it a step out. Our community, where do we want to be? What is the grand vision? Our house, your home, that's our statement. What is the grand premise of what it means to be a part of Temple Beth Hillel Bethel or the Jewish community of the mainline? or greater Philadelphia, or American Judaism. How do we want to be known 50 years from now, when the next Yovel comes around? What will they say about the Jews of the mainline? Who were we? What was our vision? Whether we got there or not, the vision is important. And then we take it out a step further, and we think of our people, the Jews, or all of us here. What do we want the world to look like? And how will that animate us to get there? Now, it might seem difficult, like jubilees or falling in love with rock stars. The miracles might have to come to get us there. But the vision is something that we are in control of. The idea of our values and what we can make this world into. That's why we come here. The practical will come 25 verses since. It might be a miracle, it might not. But in this moment, in this room, the vision is what we must sanctify. Shabbat Shalom.